This is uh, go and do the same. Sometimes finding your way forward in life is difficult. The way forward isn't entirely clear. I want to think back to um, the first time if you're a guy when you were contemplating asking a girl out on a date. Maybe you were a girl who was contemplating asking a guy out on a date. Maybe you remember this moment. I remember agonizing over it for literally weeks. I was so afraid. Of course, we're afraid of being rejected, right? You're afraid that you'll ask her out and she'll say no. And the terror of that eventuality is so significant that it kind of pushes you to the sidelines for a while. But you're so interested in spending more time with this person that you can't just put it away. And so you end up in this miserably tortured state where you're thinking, should I or shouldn't I? I grew up in the age when we still had regular phones, and uh, I literally remember dialing and hanging up as soon as it began to ring. Sometimes finding your way forward in life isn't clear. Should I ask her out or shouldn't I? Maybe you remember a situation where something was being done that you knew was wrong. And you weren't the one in full authority, you weren't completely in charge, but you had some influence. And you found yourself wondering whether you should speak up or not. It wasn't quite clear, because you knew that if you did speak up, there'd be consequences. Sometimes the most terrifying consequences are the potential relational consequences. What will they think of me if I say what I'm feeling? How will this affect our relationship if I point out the thing that is being done that I think is wrong. And so oftentimes we choose to be silent because we're so afraid of that conflict. It's like rejection. Sometimes the way forward in life is not clear. Should I have that second piece of pie or not? Other times the way forward in life is very clear. Like that time when God spoke to Abram. This is Genesis 12, verses 1 through 9. Read from the ESV. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going, towards the Negev. Now I'm not going to deal with the whole chapter today. And if you were super excited um, for me to deal with verses 10 through 20, which is the first instance of Abram the coward using a wife-swapping technique to save his own skin. Never fear, I will come back to that on March 4th, when he does it again. And so when we preach wife-swap on March 4th, 
will refer back to the tail end of chapter 12. Don't miss it. It's going to be fun. If you have friends who are skeptical about church, that's a good week to use for them. Any church that puts that in the title is probably not as lame as I think church is. Now the Lord said to Abram, verse 1, I love this, suddenly God speaks. If you look at Genesis up to this point, there's no setup. Right? The author doesn't take any time to say, now in a second you're going to meet one of the most important characters in all the Bible. In Judaism, you kind of have a trinity of sorts. You have Abraham, Moses, and King David. So to this day, if you were to meet a practicing Jew, and you were to ask them, who are the forefathers of your faith? Who are the great heroes of the faith around which you've built your life? Almost without error, they would say, Abraham, Moses, and David. So here we have one of the greatest people in the history of biblical history, and he shows up unannounced. Now the Lord said to Abram, his name hasn't even been changed. We'll get to the chapter where God changes his name to Abraham. Right now he's just Abram. Nobody knows who he is. We shouldn't be impressed with him yet. God just shows up. Suddenly God speaks. Quick point for you here as you try to find your way forward in life, know that God speaks personally to his people. Now the Lord said to Abram. And because the Lord speaks personally to his people, we should live a life that is sensitive to and aware of the voice of God. This, I find, is one of the mistakes that many Christians make because we're a little freaked out, if we're honest, about the extremely supernatural side of our faith which can include those instances when God speaks to his people. There's some pretty weird stories in the Bible about how God speaks from time to time. And it's, you know, you wouldn't be the first person to ever feel like, that's a little bit strange. And I think sometimes it's good to, you know, be cautious when it comes to those aspects of our faith because it's very easy for our faith to run amok. And if you look back at Christian history, there are many times when people did many things they should not have done in the name of God claiming that they had been told to do those things by God. So it can get messy, and so I acknowledge that. I just want to acknowledge it off the top. But some of us have moved so far to the right of that that we have all but forgotten to pause throughout our days to acknowledge and be sensitive to the voice of God, to ask God, hey, Lord, um, what should I do? Maybe think about the last time you asked God that question. What should I do, Lord? And you waited for an answer. Be sensitive to and aware of the voice of God. I mentioned this last week. It bears mentioning, again, some of the ways in which you can expect to encounter the voice of God in a way that is not, you know, like jumping off a cliff. can be the following. You can hear the voice of God as you read His Word. As we come to Genesis for the last several months, I've been slowly working my way through the book of Genesis. So I've told you about my devotional habit where I read Old Testament, New Testament, and Psalms and Proverbs all the time. And then in addition, sometimes I do what's called a slow read, where I literally go slowly through a book. I read the chapter slowly. I read every single note in the study Bible on it slowly. And I ask God to speak to me, and I read with a pen so that when I feel like God is bringing something to my attention, I can put a little check mark next to it. And then sometimes, at the end of the week, say on a Saturday when it's a time of rest, I'll go back over the slow read that I've been doing, and I'll just see which of those moments that I'd noted speaks to me still. Maybe I'll journal it down or make a note of it. And then I'll watch in the week to come for the Lord to confirm that speaking with action. Have you ever experienced that? 
God begins to speak to you. You begin to get a sense. You're not 100% sure. And then things begin happening that align with that sense that you've been getting as you've encountered God in his word. God can speak to you through his word. God can speak to you as you worship him in the corporate context. It's one of the reasons to keep coming to church and to keep worshiping Jesus because he speaks to his people as we worship him. God will sometimes speak to you as a preacher preaches from the Bible about Jesus. You'll feel like the preacher is preaching just to you. You'll feel like God somehow knew where you were at and somehow told the preacher where you were at. And I can tell you as a preacher that God never tells me, almost never, tells me where you're at. But I always know that when I explore the word, it's going to sing to me. And if it sings to me, it's going to sing to you. And so you can expect God to speak to you through the faithful preaching of his word. You can expect God to speak to you through his saints. I had a saint email me last week with a word. And this saint has been around a while and so is wise enough to share the word in a very sensitive and kind of gentle way. Because we all know if anyone's ever done this with you, that when they come at you guns blazing, you tend to, wait a second, who asked you to prophesy? And that's normal. My dad always said to me, when somebody shares a word of knowledge with you, when somebody claims to be speaking to you on behalf of God, it should always confirm something that God's already been speaking to you. The classic example was the young Pentecostal girl in his youth group growing up, who was approached by one of the older young men in the youth group and told that God had told him that she was to be his wife. She'd been well taught, and so she smiled and said, well, thank you, I'll let you know when he tells me the same thing. Right? You shouldn't be surprised, right? It should be like, oh, yeah. So that happened to me last week. A saint spoke into my life, and I was like, yep, you're right, thanks. Please do pray for me in that area. God can speak to you as you read his word. He can speak to you in worship. He can speak to you as you listen to faithful Bible preaching about Jesus. He sometimes speaks to you through his saints. Sometimes he speaks to you through your gut. You're about to do something, and you get that sick-to-your-stomach feeling. That's your conscience talking. Right? And God gave you a conscience as a tool for him to use to reveal himself to you. Right? We sometimes think that God gave us a conscience to enslave us. Not true. God gave you a conscience so you'd have a built-in tool for him to use to speak to you. He gave you a conscience because he loves you. He brings conviction into your life because he cares for you. God can speak to you through your gut. And when it comes to finding your way forward in life, it's my pleasure to remind you this morning that God usually says, forward. Verse 1, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. You can put this one on a t-shirt. God says, go. God says, go. Okay, if you're trying to find your way forward in life and you're trying to ask God to speak to you, be prepared for the fact that most of the time when he speaks, he says, go. Go ahead is what he actually says in the Hebrew. Lech lecha. Okay, lech is go. Lecha is you. Lech lecha. If he'd said it to a girl, he would have said lechi lach. Right? But he's speaking to a guy, so he says lech lecha. Go ahead, man. Go ahead. It's, it's that casual. Lech lecha. Go ahead. It's not trumpets and it's not impressive. It's as down to earth as it gets. God shows up and just in a down to earth says, get going. Get a move on. Lech lecha. Hustle. You want to find your way forward in life, start and then keep moving forward. Or in the words of Walt Disney, and here, however, 
We don't look backwards for very long. We keep moving forward, opening up new doors and doing new things because we're curious. And curiosity keeps leading us down new paths. Keep moving forward. Wonderful movie from Disney in the last 10 years is called Meet the Robinsons. If you want to show a fun one to your kids, that's a great one. I cry like a baby every single time. Because the heart of that film is this message, and the heart of that message is rooted in the gospel of Christ. Keep moving forward. The heart of that message is rooted in the story of God and his people. It's in evidence here in the story of God and Abram, his friend. Go. Lech lecha. And as you go, as you do like Abram does, as you obey the Lord God as he speaks, I want you to be prepared. I want you to keep in mind how comprehensive God's call is. This is where it gets a little difficult. You should not be able to read this without squirming. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house. (laughs) I love the Lord because he goes for the jugular. Go from your country. Go from where you live. Any of you who have ever done that, who have left where you live to go to a new place, know how difficult that is. My family is still living in the midst of that difficulty. Go from your country. Go from where you live. And you think, all right, I did it. I'm good. But no, there's a second. And from your kindred. Go from who you live there with. Go from where you live Go from who you live there with. Go from your kindred. Leave your kin, leave your family, leave your closest friends behind. This is the point where you should have a reaction. If God ever speaks to you in this way, you should feel uncomfortable with it. You should feel the cost of it even before you embark on the journey. It should strike fear in your heart. This kind of command is the kind of thing that should make you fret a little bit and worry lest God call you to go and leave your country your kindred, and your father's house. Your father's house, of course, representing the only life you have ever known. It's my privilege to remind you this morning that God's call is like a video game. Do any of you love video games? I personally don't. My sons do, though, so I get to see it a lot. And they got this crazy video game set in the context of World War II for Christmas. And every other kid their age got the same video game. Should have bought shares in Electronic Arts. And so I sat with them to watch them play this video game. And what's interesting about it, and of course, as I'm wont to do, even video games sometimes show me the glory of God. And I was astonished that it just keeps going and going and going and going. And you finish one level and then there's the next. And then you finish that level and then there's the next. And then you finish that level, and then there's the next. And there's always a new challenge, and there's always a new hill to climb. And there's always a new obstacle to face. And I was like, this is exactly like the call of God. The call of God is like a video game. It has ascending levels of difficulty built into it. So we need to know in advance that the second we get comfortable with where we followed God to, He is likely to begin calling you further up and farther in. Do you know this to be true? Have you experienced this in your life? You're like, whew, got there. 
And sometimes God gives you a minute, and then it's on to the next level. And I know that that could be a little bit discouraging. I know that you could tend to think when faced with these ever-ascending levels of difficulty, so what, my obedience isn't good enough for God? Ever felt like that? Like, when is it going to be enough? Like, I obeyed you in this already, and now you're asking me to go to the next level? Can I get a minute to relax, please? So before you get frustrated, I want to remind you that God's greatness is infinite. Something that we're prone to forget because we are not infinite. Right? We are, by definition, limited. Everything we do has limits to it. And so it's hard for us to remember that God is infinite. And therefore, in Him, there is always room for more. So when it comes to these ascending levels of difficulty and the tendency to feel like your obedience isn't good enough, you can choose two paths. You can choose to say and think and feel and believe that it's never going to be good enough. And if you choose that path, I'm here to warn you this morning that that will lead to bitterness and disenchantment. On the other hand, you can look at it this way. In light of Jesus, you can look at these ever-ascending levels of difficulty and say, man... I'm facing unlimited opportunity here. Unlimited opportunity. Now, you may tend to think that some people you know are just by nature more optimistic than you. And that may be true. They may be by nature more optimistic than you. But that does not free you from being as optimistic as you can be. Right? Even if you're more pessimistic than me, you need to be as optimistic as you as you can be. Why? Because of the gospel of Jesus. I truly believe, and I'm not looking to propagandize you here or to make you like me, but I truly believe that pessimism needs to bow the knee to Jesus at the cross. This is one of the enduring testimonies of the cross. The cross says to you, you don't have to be good enough. Right? You don't have to be good enough. Jesus is good enough. In fact, the cross says to you, Jesus is the only one who's good enough. Only God the Son, who took on flesh and lived amongst us in space-time history, fully God and fully man, only God the Son made flesh, could be good enough to be tempted in every way in which you'll ever be tempted, yet to remain without sin. Only God the Son made flesh could be good enough to suffer in ways in which you'll never suffer and yet not forsake his faith in his good, good Father. Only God the Son, because he was fully God, as he hung on that cross, could have your sin and mine placed upon his shoulders for him to bear the penalty in your place. Only God the Son, as the Father turned away from him, could suffer the depths of pain and sorrow that would fully pay the penalty for the sins of humanity for all time. It would only be a travesty if it was God the Son from whom God the Father turned away. Because if we're honest, I deserve to have God the Father turn away from me. God the Son, second member of the Trinity, for God the Father to turn His back on Him, as God the Son was made filthy by your sin and mine, that's a travesty. That's a travesty big enough to change history. Only God the Son, having died, 
could lay in a borrowed tomb three days and rise again the third day. Only God the Son could defeat its power, the power of death. Only He could defeat the power of Satan, sin, death, and hell in His body. Only God the Son could arise again. Only God the Son could arise to the right hand of the Father. Only God the Son could sit down at His right hand and say, I'm back. Only God the Son could intercede for you. Only He is big enough and strong enough to be the cheering section that you need as you face the difficulties that life is and will throw at you. Only God the Son has the right one day to take the trumpet in His hand and to blow a mighty blast and to utter a shout with the voice of an archangel and mount His horse and return from glory with His sword and His tattoo on His thigh to defeat His enemies once and for all and to inaugurate His kingdom which will have no end. Only God the Son could do this. Why? Because only He was good enough. Which means, my dear friends, that you don't have to be. Hallelujah, right? So be set free from thinking that you have to be good enough. Friends, I'm here to tell you this morning that you never have to measure up. You just need to rise up. That'll preach good right there. You don't have to measure up. Be set free from that false expectation. You just need to rise up. Right? Like Jesus, your big brother Jesus. Up from the grave he arose. Right? With a mighty triumph for his foes. You don't got to measure up. You just need to rise up. And once you've stood to your feet, walk by faith. Look at verse 1. I'm still in verse 1. God help us. Now the Lord God said to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred, your father's house. This is the best. To the land that I will show you. (laughs) That's what it means to walk by faith. I still remember my dad preaching this passage when I was a little boy. And he went into a soliloquy on Abram and Sarai having a conversation around this fact that I still laugh about to this day. Abram comes in. Hey, honey, we're moving. Great. Where? (laughs) Um, God's going to show me. Excuse me? <laughs> Abram says to Sarai, um, yeah, God's going to show me. You need to not miss this, friends. The blessings of God are found along the journey of faith and not otherwise. Many of us have been led to believe that God will bless us just because. And you know, that may be true. But if you want to consider the pattern of biblical history, the pattern is clear. Go ahead. Walk by faith. And then look what I will do. Consider verses 2 through 3. See what he says. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. I want you to notice here and take hope that God promises Abram the desires of his heart. This is a man at this point who has no heir. He has no son. 
There is no young man in his family to carry on his line. We'll get to this in the coming weeks. And so God cuts right to the heart of the matter with him, and you can expect God to do the same for you. You can know that he knows exactly what you need before you even know that you need it, and you can know that he has made provision for it in his will, and that as you follow him, there will come a day when he fulfills the desires of your heart. It may not be today, it may not be tomorrow, but it will be some day. God promises Abram the desires of his heart. He promises that he will make of him a great nation. And that, of course, means a promise of offspring. He promises Abram that he will make his name great, which, of course, promises fame or a legacy. And if we're honest, all of us want to be in some way remembered. All of us want to do something with our lives that in some way counts, that in some way will last. And God promises his goodness to Abram. I want to point out something very important. To me, this is almost the most important part of the passage. Look what he says after he promises these blessings to Abram. He promises him all these good things, and at the end he says, so that you will be a blessing. I'm here to tell you this morning, maybe to remind you, maybe it's the first time you've ever thought of it this way, but God's goodness is meant to be missional goodness. God is not being good to Abram just to be good to Abram. God is being good to Abram so that through Abram, God can be good to many and many and many and many more people. I will bless you so that you will be a blessing, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. God's goodness is missional goodness. You can think of it this way this week. God is making you into a river. Not a reservoir. So, you know, maybe consider your life. Maybe consider your resources. Maybe consider the way in which you spend your time. Maybe that's a word for you this morning. I said that God can sometimes speak to you through the faithful preaching of His Word. And maybe that's for you today. God is making you into a river. Not a reservoir. God's goodness is not primarily meant to be stored up. So that you can say, look how good God has been to me. God's goodness is primarily meant so that you can go and be a blessing. God's making you into a river, not a reservoir. And Abram totally buys into this concept. Continuing in verses 4 through 5a. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. He takes everything he has, and he goes at 75 years of age. It is never too late for a fresh start, my friends. You're like, I'm too old, I missed the boat. No, you didn't. I'm too old. God's moved on. No, he hasn't. He's still about his mission to glorify himself, bring joy to his people, and through their transformed lives to see much good done to the world around them. He's still about that mission. He's still on that game. You haven't missed a thing. He's 75 years old, and he buys in hard. He takes everything he's got, all the possessions he's acquired, all the people he's acquired, his wife, his nephew, everything he's got. He is all in. Hey, maybe you're hovering on the edge of a decision this week, whether to go all in or not. Maybe that's a word for you today. He goes all in. He jumps in with both feet. I love this. This is Abram's superpower. 
Anytime you visit an Old Testament character, you ought to be looking for their superpower, the thing that they habitually do that makes them great. We have the benefit of hindsight. We can look back over their life and we can say, yes, these were the things that made them great. This is the thing that made Abram great. This is the thing that got his name changed to Abraham. This is how he consistently achieves greatness. He habitually obeys. That'll preach good right there, too. Not once in a while, not from time to time. He habitually obeys. And yes, he makes mistakes. We will see some of the mistakes that Abram made as he followed the Lord God. But his default setting, his superpower, was obedience. He habitually obeyed. Okay, Lord, let's go. That's a great attitude to cultivate in yourself. That's a great habit to cultivate in your life. Okay, Lord, let's go. You want to find your way forward in life, become habitually obedient to the God of the Bible. Whatever you say. I don't know if that's your habit. I know it's one that I am learning to abide in as I age. It's still difficult, and I still fall down several times a week. God impresses something on your heart. He speaks to you. And your default setting, before you micromanage it, before you begin to question it, before you begin to process it or parse it for its pros and cons, you just say, all right, good, let's go. Whatever you say. Even Jesus in his incarnation had to learn obedience. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done, he cries out in Luke chapter 22, verse 42. As he's in the Garden of Gethsemane contemplating his passion, which will begin on the morrow. And he's dreading it. Jesus is dreading it. He's freaked out by it. And he's like, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Even Jesus the Christ had to learn obedience. You want to take one key teachable from the famous characters of the Bible. Do what God says habitually. I think about Ruth. I think about Rahab. I think about Yael. I think about Sarai. I think about Rebekah. I think about Rachel. And I can picture the moments in their stories when they obeyed the Lord. No questions asked. Yes, Lord, whatever you want, let's go. I think of Joseph. I think of Jephthah. I think of David. I think of Abraham. I think of Moses. I think of Micah. I think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I think of Daniel. I think of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I think of Isaiah, Jeremiah. Okay, what was the thing about these people? They habitually obeyed the Lord God. And here's a key teachable point for you. Do not let problems or setbacks stop you. The second half of verse 5 and verse 6. So they set out to go to the land of Canaan. Now don't miss this, friends. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moreh, At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. (laughs) A few things I love about this. You can tell that the writer was writing to a local audience. He was originally writing to somebody who knew where Shechem was. One of these weeks, I'll bring a map and I'll show you where everything is. But it's a real place. It's there to this day. It's so specific that he refers to an oak tree. (laughs) I love that. The Bible's so specific. It refers to an oak tree. Now, the oak tree isn't there anymore. But the place, Moret, is still there. 
Bible's pretty specific. I love it. It's a little commercial for, you know, why you can trust the Bible. Then he goes through the land, but there's a problem. When they came to the land of Canaan, the Canaanites were in the land. Wait a minute. I thought you said you were going to give me this land. And there's already people here. How many of you have ever obeyed the Lord and it doesn't work out exactly the way you'd hoped? (laughs) Anyone? Anyone? Bueller? (laughs) Right? Chances are you know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, The very clear implication of verses 1 through 3 was that you're going to give me this land. So the teachable point for us is beautiful. Even as you go to great lengths to habitually obey the Lord, don't be surprised when things don't go quite as you'd hoped or expected. Literally, okay? I'm not saying this just because she's here. I'm not saying this just to get in her good books. Although that's a nice byproduct. The only thing in my life that has gone as I'd hoped is my marriage to Nicole. In fact, I bless the Lord almost yeah, every day. I'm like, thank you, Jesus, for this woman. I often tell her, I said, when I was 17, I pictured my 40-year-old wife, and the 40-year-old wife I pictured was you. But other than that, please don't be too impressed with me. There is not one thing in my life that has gone according to plan. Not one. Not one. I sat there, and I was like, what about, no, what about, no, dang it. What, ah, Not one thing has gone according to plan. Not one thing other than my sweet wife has gone as I'd hoped or expected. Not one thing. Maybe that's true for you as well. Maybe that's the Lord speaking to you. Right? You want to find your way forward in life, expect the unexpected, and don't let temporary disappointment steal your joy. It's fine to be disappointed, but don't let that temporary disappointment steal your joy. How many of you know what I'm talking about? It's one thing to be disappointed. That's normal and natural and fine and good. Don't pretend you have to be superwoman. Like, nothing ever bothers me. You don't have to be like that. But it's a step from disappointment to bitterness, right? It's a step from disappointment to disillusionment. And you don't got to go that way. In fact, if you've gone that way, you should come back. Come on back. Lech lecha, come on back. Come on back from disappointment. Come on back from disillusionment. Don't got to go that way. In fact, you were never meant to go that way. Come on back. Come on back to hope. Come on back to belief. Come on back to, you know, disappointment with hope. Come on back. Don't let it steal your joy because God's going to show up. Look at verse 7. Worship team, I'm almost done. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring... I will give this land. So Abram built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. This, my, I mean, I love this whole passage, but I love this verse so much. Then the Lord appeared to him after the problem had surfaced. Don't you want God to show up beforehand to give you like a warning? Like, I just want to let you know that when you cross over into the land, there's going to be some people there. And, you know, it doesn't do that. I love it, right? God's growing you up into men and women. Right? He's growing you up into men and women. You cross over in the land, you're like, dang it. Right? And he's going to let you be disappointed. He's going to let you face the reality that things aren't always going to work out the way you'd hoped, planned, or expected. He's going to let you face that. He's turning you into men and women. 
All right, he's turning you into his partners. And last time I checked, the mission that he's on is about the biggest thing in the history of the world. So you got to be pretty tough to work with the God of the universe. All right, so don't expect him to coddle you. He's going to let you face a disappointment. Then he shows up. I love it. After the fact, I love it. It's beautiful. I mean, I hate it, but I love it. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. I love that God's solution to a very real immediate problem, the Canaanites in the land, is a future promise requiring even more faith from Abram. I told you God's like a video game. Isn't that crazy? And encouraging at the same time? He's got a very real problem. Canaanites in the land he's supposed to possess. God shows up because he knows that it's a problem for him. But how does God provide for his problem? With a future promise requiring more faith. I mean, somebody shout. You know what I mean? That's, that's, that, whoa, you could take that all the way to the bank. <laughs> I don't even have a son and you're going to give the land to my offspring. Silly me, I thought you promised, Okay. I mean, if that's how it was for Abram, the patriarch, why should it be any different for you? So look, here's the point. As this happens to you, don't get bitter. Don't get bitter. Don't give up. Instead, do like Abram did. Huh? What did Abram do? Worship, wait, worship some more, keep going. As we finish with verses 8 through nine. There to the, from there he moved on to the hill east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram Do like Abram did. He built an altar. That's an act of worship. He pitched his tent. That's an act of waiting. Note, he's not staying. He's not building a house. He's not sinking foundations down into the earth. But he's waiting. Okay? So worship... Wait. Then he moves on. He builds another altar, worships some more. Why are we a church that prizes worship so highly? Um, Because that's the biblical model. Worship, wait, worship some more, and then keep going. He heads south. The Negev is the great desert at the southern tip of the promised land. Worship, wait, worship some more, keep going. How did Abram find his way forward in life? Well, he followed the following formula. Go, obey, worship, wait, worship, repeat. I'll say it one more time, so hopefully it rings in your ears this week. Go, obey, worship, wait, worship, repeat. If you want to do the same, if you want to Find your way forward in life like Abram did. Well, friends, go and do the same. 